We pick up the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon Jesus gave to his disciples as he'd gone away with them into the the mountain district. And we pick up from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1 through to verse 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father who sees uh, what is done in secret will reward you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be his disciple here on earth, what it means to follow him. He's redefined blessing and happiness to... Uh, those who trust in God, those who follow Him and who live a life of purpose and value, of being salt and light in our world. Then Jesus taught us about the need for love in understanding the heart of the law, how we understand the law that God has taught us through the Old Testament and our, our understanding of that and how we take that on, that it all comes under Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. But what about those things that aren't part of the law, but that God's people should do? Those acts of devotion, the good deeds that God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
our daily worship, our acts of righteousness? What's, what's at the heart of those? How do we do those in the kingdom of heaven? How do we follow Jesus in that regard? And in verse 1 of this chapter, Jesus gave us the, the principle that then the three different examples he gave us were built on. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And Jesus goes on to give three examples of the kind of behaviour we ought to watch out for. When you give, it's worth noting right at the start, Jesus assumes we will give charitably. That if we love God and if we love people, that we will give to the the people in need that we see around us. But Jesus says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Don't call a press conference to show the good that you're doing. That's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And sometimes the natural response we can have to a passage like this is, yes, yeah, stuff those guys who think they're so great and show off with every, you know, every single bit of charity they do is just a way of uh, getting people to acknowledge how good they are. That's a way that we can respond to this passage. What a bunch of hypocrites. But the response I think Jesus is looking for from his audience here is to examine our hearts and see if any of this temptation has crept in, in our own hearts, in our own lives. Jesus tells us those who do good deeds for the recognition, those who do it for the popularity, they will get exactly what they're looking for, but they won't get anything more. If they're doing it so people will think they're great, they'll get that. But they won't get the recognition from God. They won't get the reward from God. Instead, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Those who give in secret because they're not worried about what other people think. They're giving because they think it's the right thing to do. They think it's what will please God. They will have their reward. Now, there's a question how we understand that idea of reward. Is that that idea of if we give money but I haven't let my left hand know what my right hand is doing... If I give some money to the church, God will give me three times as much money back. Is that the reward that he's talking about? Jesus leaves it a little bit vague, the idea of what this reward from God actually is. One illustration I've found helpful over the years is in talking about the idea of reward is telling a young child who's learning to play the piano that there's two different types of reward isn't there? Practice your piano every day and I'll buy you a bike. That's one type of reward. And when some people talk about the rewards that God will give us, that's the kind of thing they think of. The other thing to say is practice your piano every day 
and you can grow to be a concert pianist and you can play, you know, in a great orchestra. And in that one, the reward is, is intrinsically tied to what they're doing. It's not, here's an added bonus to, to bribe you into doing the right thing. But if you do that practice, you'll get good. And that can go places. So I think in a lot of the ideas of reward that Jesus is talking about, there's an intrinsic reward when we live God's way. There's an intrinsic reward in growing in love like God's is that it, it develops our relationship with God. That as we do things out of love for him in the world, it brings us closer to him and it makes us more like Jesus. And that's a pretty big reward. But we also can't fully discount the possibility that there is some kind of rewards in heaven as well. Now, heaven will be a, an amazing place for everyone who ends up there. But we can't fully discount, given some of the passages around it, the possibility that there might be some kind of special, like some, some form of rewards in heaven. And the greatest reward of all would be to see people who are there because of what God has done through you, in your family, in your ministry. To see people who have ended up there because of what God has done in your life. But as I noted, Jesus doesn't really focus on the rewards. He doesn't go into spelling out what the rewards are. But it just reminds us that God is pleased when his people do good things out of love for him. Now, as we noted last week in Jesus' teaching on the law, we need to be careful on the question of, we need to be careful about taking Jesus legalistically because his whole sermon is trying to punch holes in the legalism of the Pharisees and the way they go about things and so showing it's not really about all the things you do so much as the heart with which you do them. And he said, you can be like the Pharisees and keep all of the laws to the letter and still not be in the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to be careful when we see this, that Jesus talking about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Does that mean to ever give in a public setting is sin? Does it mean that we are forbidden as Christians to ever give in a place where other people might see it? I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us here. But instead he's saying, watch your heart. Watch your heart, make sure that you are not doing it so that other people will think how good you are. If that's your motivation, you'll get what you're looking for. But you won't get a, a pat on the back from God. It's important for us to check our hearts. It's important for us to make sure, as we'll see in all of these examples that we look at, that we are the same person when nobody's looking as we are when everybody's looking. That we're willing to give without expecting any earthly rewards or recognition. But that we're doing it because we want to please God. And Jesus continues then in a similar vein. Gives, he gives three examples. I've put them slightly out of order here because I've got a bit more I wanted to say on prayer in closing. But he goes on to fasting. The practice of fasting. And in the Jewish culture there were 
set days of the year when you would fast. There would be, so there would be this one day of the year where it would be a fast across the whole nation and then the next day was a great feast. Uh, and so you would sort of, in one way, you're kind of preparing for the other and it's uh, part of their preparing themselves for the ceremonies that would happen. So Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was one such example where in preparation for it, they would have a day of fasting to remind themselves of their sins that needed to be forgiven. And then on the Day of Atonement would be a great feast as they celebrated the forgiveness of their sins on that Day of Atonement. But there was also, people could have a fast at any time and in particular, if, if they were um, you know, going through a real time of suffering, people might fast, seeking God, uh, yeah, his help and his assistance and his, uh, you know, seeking his will and what they should do. People would fast in times of great, um, great repentance in recognising that they'd, when they realised they'd gone astray, they would fast as part of their, uh, yeah, just a sign of their repentance. And Jesus doesn't tell them not to fast. There is a time and a place for us uh, in, in, as Christians. If we choose to fast, that we can. And we can choose to do a fast like Lent, and, and those sort of things leading into Easter. And sometimes people do an Advent leading into Christmas. And I think that's quite, a, you know, quite an appropriate thing for Christians to do. But as we've seen through this whole series, if we make it a law that you have to do that, that becomes a problem. Because that's nothing to do with, sorry, nothing to do with our hearts being engaged. But Jesus says, don't be like the actors that's, that's the, what the word hypocrites comes from. It's a picture of the actor in the Greek-style theatre. Don't be like the actors who are just playing a role, but that's not who they really are. Don't be like the actors who really want to make sure that everybody knows that they're fasting so that they'll seem like they're extra holy. Look at all of the things they're giving up to be good, godly people. Holiness isn't a performance. We're not, not better than others in the kingdom because we've given up more things. The Pharisees compa uh, compared themselves to Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees, you know, why aren't your disciples fasting? Look at all these fasts we do. And, well, the Pharisees weren't in the kingdom of heaven, but the disciples were. It's all about the heart. Our Father who sees what is done in secret sees our hearts. And similarly, Jesus expects that we will pray. But he warns us as we pray not to be like the actors who, for whom prayer was a performance. The Pharisees who gave impressive prayers on the street corners and in the synagogues but did they pray at home? Now this raises an immediate question for a lot of people. Does, this, does what Jesus says here mean that we shouldn't pray in public? He says, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, 
go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who he sees what is done in secret will reward you. Have we sinned about four times in this church service already by having prayer together where somebody comes up the front and leads us all in prayer? Is it wrong for us to have times where we break away into groups and pray together? Or if we do that in our Bible study groups and we have a time of prayer together? Well, if it is wrong, then the early church got that very wrong too. The early church prayed together regularly. Jesus prayed publicly. But he prayed in private a lot more. We read a number of times about him getting up early or staying up late to go and spend time in prayer with his father. Again, it's not so much about what we do, whether the prayer is in public or in private. It's about testing our hearts. And Jesus is saying, are you happy to go and shut yourself in your room and pray by yourself? Is is that something that you do? Or do you see no point in that because nobody's watching? Because nobody can see it? Are our public prayers like our private prayers? Or do we try to make them more impressive? So again, I see the point that Jesus is making is not that that prayer in public is a sin. How could it be? He did it. But that we need to check our hearts and make sure again that we're the same people in private that we are in public. And for those of us who do get up the front, It's an extra temptation that we need to be aware of and checking ourselves for. And like in all of these things, we need to test our hearts that this is not why we're doing it. And so after the service today, will I, if if anybody looks like they're about, about to tell me it was a great sermon today, do I have to tackle them to the ground and make sure they don't say it because otherwise I'll have lost my reward from my Father in heaven? Or is it about just making sure that that's not why I preach the way I preach? That I want people to tell me how good I am. But then instead I do it because I want to preach God's word faithfully. So we need to be careful that we're not legalistic even as we take Jesus seriously and as we test our own hearts. Jesus also teaches us how to pray. He says, don't pray like the pagans with many words. The pagans generally had lots of gods and you had to, you know, go above and beyond to try and get their attention because who knows, otherwise they might ignore you in favour of the other guy who had the more impressive prayers or gave the more impressive sacrifices. And Jesus says, you don't need to go on and on and on and on and on and on in your prayer going over and over and over the same thing for God to hear you. He says, God hears you and he already knows what you want before, what you need before you've even started talking to him. Be forthright in your prayers. Say, you know, the things that are on your heart and trust that God hears you. You don't have to pray a long prayer to be heard. The length is not an indicator of the quality. But again, We need to be careful not to take this legalistically. It's not a ban on long prayers. 
How long did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Long enough for the disciples to fall asleep twice. There is a time for us to pour out our hearts to God and sometimes that takes a while. But the idea is not that that we be careful that we don't get into this idea that God will be more likely to give me what I want if my prayer is longer or more impressive. That if I just keep going and keep going and keep going, that God will bow to my will rather than vice versa. And so to illustrate his point, Jesus gave us a model prayer that we can pray. And this this prayer could be a whole series on its own. But to to bring it down to, to what it's really on about, Jesus shows us these are the things that we should cover in our prayer. These are the the types of things that we can pray about. I don't think Jesus gives us this prayer to be a rote prayer. Say it exactly along these words every time that you pray uh, or else it's not a proper prayer. And indeed, I'm sure we've all been to churches where They've done the Lord's Prayer, and it's not a problem for the church to do the Lord's Prayer, but we've been to the church that, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you can just tell the hearts are not engaged. And that's kind of exactly flying in the face of what Jesus is saying here, is that our heart seeking after God is the most important thing as we pray. Jesus encourages us to pray to our Father in heaven. And we who have become so familiar with that can so easily miss how astounding that was to his disciples as he told them the first, like, told them at this time, you can call God your Father. That wasn't a commonly done thing in that time. Almighty Lord, perhaps, Sovereign Lord, but our Father is a level of intimacy with God that was not common in prayer, was not done in prayer, until Jesus told his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven. Now the in heaven part is important as well. It reminds us that we're not just talking to our buddy. That we're not just talking to somebody who's on the same tier as us. But that phrase, our Father in heaven, brings together who God is. That he is both near to us and loves us dearly. But high above us and powerful. And someone who we show reverence and respect. While also knowing that we are deeply and closely loved. Our Father in heaven. And then the first thing he goes on to in prayer is not the things that we need or the things that we hope for, but hallowed be your name. Prayer involves worship, involves recognising God's greatness in general, in all of the things God has done throughout history, but also personally, recognising the greatness of God 
as it's been revealed to us in our own lives. Saying, you know, hallowed is your name, great and glorious is your name, as you've showed me this about yourself this week. As I realised this about you, as I saw the sunset this morning. As I saw this about you as I read and my heart was stirred as I read about what Jesus did for me on the cross. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Calling for God's will to be done reminds us that we are seeking in our lives what we're calling generally for God's will to be done in the world. May your will be done in our society. May your will be done that people might know about you. May your kingdom come. That Now that has a, a future sense. May your kingdom come. May heaven come and you know the, the old heavens and the old earth pass away and everything be made new where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. But it's also that sense of may your kingdom come into our world. May people come to know that Jesus is the king of their lives and put their hope in him. But it also speaks to our own lives again. When you, when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's committing us to seeking God's will as well. To saying, not my will, but yours be done. God, may your will be done in my life. Reminds... Praying your, your kingdom come and your will be done reminds us of the hope that we're looking forward to. The hope of the resolution of all of our struggles and our fears and our pains. But then Jesus encourages us to pray for our needs. Jesus knows that we are humans. That we have weaknesses and limitations. And that we are in a world that is broken. And we have many needs. And he encourages them to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Pray knowing that God answers that prayer. And he gave this prayer in a time where a lot of people were day labourers, which meant you went out and you worked your job for that day for, for somebody who had a job that needed doing, and you got your pay, and that was enough for your food for the next day. But then the next day you had to go out and find a job again. And then you had enough pay for the next day. We're a bit more removed from that now. Not too many of us are in the situation that we're, we're never quite sure as we go to bed each night where our next meal is coming from. But it reminds us as we pray that prayer that everything that we have is a gift from God. That although we might have worked and earned our wages and all of those things, that it's not just throughout the, the strength of our efforts that we have what we have, but through God's goodness to us. And so praying, give us this day our daily bread, reminds us that we do depend on him and that everything we have comes from him. We pray... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
pray for the forgiveness of sins, which is something we can never do for ourselves. But when we bring them to God, when we sin, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and good. And He forgives us. There's nothing we've done that can make God irrevocably, no no sins that uh, makes God turn his back on us in a way that we can never be forgiven. If we take those sins to the cross, if we take them and say, please forgive me because, and let my sins be forgiven by the blood that Jesus shed on that cross. And he he closes this prayer that he's given with this prayer for deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A reminder that the Christian walk can't be done in our own strength. That avoiding or resisting sin and living God's way is not something that we can just do on our own, but that we need God's help with every day. Sometimes I like to pray through this prayer with with each line of it being like a heading. Hallowed be your name. And then I pray about the things that I'm, things that I'm grateful for about God, about who he is and what he's done. Give us today your, um, sorry, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray about those places where I you know, we, we want to see God's will done. May, may your will be done in us, your church, as we try and bring the gospel to our community through the life series. Give us today our daily bread, and that's the heading, and then under that I start praying about all of the things that, the needs that I have that I want to bring before God. Forgive us our sins is a good spot for, to think about what are those. Bring them individually to God. Or as we forgive those who sin against us, where am I having trouble letting go of what somebody else has done against me? And I find that's a very useful way to pray the prayer that reminds me of this beautiful prayer that Jesus has called us to pray without it becoming rote and just forgetting to, um, you know, the heart is disengaged as we pray it. And Jesus brings this whole prayer together at the end with a reminder that we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus told a striking parable, not in this sermon, but in another point of his teaching about a servant who owed a great king more money than he could ever repay. And the king forgave his debt when he threw himself upon the king's mercy. And then he went out and there was another bloke who owed him 50 bucks. And that guy asked for him to forgive his debt. And instead he dragged him away and had him locked in jail. And Jesus' point was fairly clear. If we behave like that, it shows we have not understood the incredible goodness and forgiveness that's been shown to us. I think that's the key to this passage. 
We do these things in response to God's love to us, in response to the forgiveness that God has shown us. That to do these things well, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, whether it's charity, whether it's uh, preaching, whether it's whatever it is that we might do, that we're doing it because we want to please God, because we love him, because he first loved us. And Jesus gives us lots of principles about ways to check our hearts to make sure we're not doing it to please others. And he doesn't tell us that if we've ever done any of these things with some bad motivations, if if there was ever a time in our past that you gave and it was because you wanted to look good, Jesus isn't saying, ah, that's it, you're going to hell. But he says, if you want to please God, because God has loved you, this is how you do it. You do it by doing it from your heart, out of thankfulness to him. God loves us and wants us to love him in return and to love others. And that restored relationship with God, where we who were cast off from him because of sin are brought to be his family, that he will be our God and we will be his people. That restored relationship is the greatest reward of all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words to us, that you have taught us what it means to show our love for God through the things that we do. Help us to remember that it's not just about if we give a certain amount of charity, if we pray a certain amount of prayers, that you will be pleased. But it's about our hearts, that we seek you with our hearts, that we do things because we want you to be pleased with them not because we want people to see how good we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, all about Jesus. Jesus.